I want to talk to you this morning um, about a subject here that I'm struggling with. I'll be very honest with you. I'm struggling with it because it hits me pretty much square in the face, like I'm sure it'll hit you this morning, um, because it's something that we all all deal with. But I want to ask you the question. Maybe I'm asking myself the question, and I'm assuming it's going to work for you too, but why do we settle for second best? Why do we settle for second best? We live in a world that's very competitive, and it's getting more competitive every day. If you look at around and if you watch TV at all and the advertising, you see that we're constantly being bombarded with having the best of everything, the best of cars, the best of our clothing, the best food to eat, the best housing. You name it, we're always being pushed to have the best. Even many times if it goes beyond our means of living, even if it means we're going into credit card debt and big mortgage debt, that's just the nature of the society that we live in, that we always want to have the best. That's just it built into our human nature to have the best, to want to be the best, to have the best on the block, to have the best you know, in school, to have the best on my job. It, it's just part of it. But my question for us today, then, is do we still have or do we have the same craving to have all the best of God? And when I started thinking about this and when this came in my heart earlier this week, I thought, man, Lord, I don't know if I can preach this message today because this is really um, hits pretty close to home for me, as I'm sure it will for you if you're listening with open ears. Because I believe that we are very comfortable in settling for second best when it comes to our Christianity. I believe that we have the ability to justify in our own spirit and our own mind that just being good enough to get by is it, is good enough. And then let me have the pleasure of the world. <laughs> I've got a lot of living to do, so just give, me, just give me enough of God to get me to heaven and then get out of my way and don't challenge me with any more. Well, I'm saying this morning that I believe most Christians are kind of saying that. Not most, many, hopefully not most, but many Christians are saying that. Many Christians are very comfortable settling for second-rate Christianity. I'm good enough. I live a life that is better than a guy down the street. What more can God expect of me? What more can God expect? And the reason that I'm bringing this up this morning is that when I look around at our lifestyles in our society and in our community, I kind of see that's the fruit of what we are. We seem to have a relatively good Sunday morning mentality going on, but when it comes to midweek services or other activities of gathering together for Christian gatherings or opportunities to study God's Word or pray together, that there aren't many consistently willing to do that. We have a tendency to want to segregate ourselves after Sunday morning. And first of all, that's not biblical, and it's not smart to do that. What's more important in this life than serving God with our whole and best effort? Let me ask you that. What is, the most, what is more important than serving God? I know in our carnal nature, there's a lot of things that are more important. My time is my time. 
But when we recognize what's really happening around us, there we, we will soon recognize that serving God with our whole heart and best effort is very, very important. Because if we don't, we're, we're playing a, a pretty dangerous game. I think many of us say, I have a good grasp of what it means to be a Christian, but I think that in many ways we're deluded in our thinking and that it's okay to give our second best to God because we have a lot of living to do in this life. I'll give to God what I have left over if and when I have time. If and when I have time, I'll give to God. Well, we mentioned that and talked a little bit about it in Sunday school, and... Um, it's kind of a dangerous perspective. Why do Christians accept the sin in their lives? Why do they? Why? You know, I, I think one reason that we do is because I don't think we see it sometimes. I don't think we recognize it in our lives as sin. I think we, reckon, I think we justify many, many times in our life that we're okay. We're good enough. And I'm asking you this morning to challenge yourself with the questions. Am I? Are you? Are you really living a life of holiness? Are you living a life of generosity? Are you living a life of godliness? Are you living a life of purposeful prayer? Are you living a life of Bible reading? Are you living a life that would make Jesus happy if you were here this morning? You see why I have a hard time with the sermon today? You see why I have a hard time saying this? Because when I say these words, I hear them too. I cannot stand up here and say that I have it all figured out. I cannot stand up here and say that I'm preaching of authority because I have it all done. I'm struggling in these areas like you are. And yes, I'm a Christian man and you're a Christian man, but you know what? Well, we can still struggle. Right? Can you struggle and be Christians? Can we, can we get through it? Can we be, can we be victorious over it? Yes, we can. But I'm here to talk about a few of these things this morning. I believe that why we have some of these issues going on is for, for two major reasons. Number one, I, I don't believe, or I believe that we're motivated more by what we see more than what we don't see. Namely, we don't see the spirit world around us. All we see is the physical. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute. The other reason that I think that we struggle in this area is because we are short-term thinkers. Thinkers. We, we, we think only short-term. We are seeking short-term fulfillment rather than having the understanding and a discipline to do or not to do today because of the consequences or for the consequences that will come later. So we find ourselves all the time thinking about my life today. I'm thinking about my short-term. And we need, to, we need to see what we don't see, and that's the spirit world, and then we need to start thinking long-term. And then we will have opportunity to live a godly life in a life that God will look at us and say, well done, you did a good job. So let's talk about being motivated by what we see in the physical realm versus what's in the spiritual. We don't see the heavenlies around us right now. But I will tell you, as much as I'm standing here today, that there are angels in this room. And at the same time, there are demonic forces outside of this building waiting for you to get out there. Your demon will be waiting for you. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to, be, I'm just trying to educate this morning. And knowing that we are in a spiritual game, 
We are in a spiritual warfare. There are, there are angels and there are demons. And they are assigned to you. And they are assigned to me. And when I don't recognize them, and when I don't recognize that there are things going on in the spirit world, and all I see is the physical world around me, no wonder I have problems in my life. No wonder that I have problems with greed and selfishness and, and hoarding and anger and uh, temper problems and, and all the other issues that come. When all I see is the physical and I don't recognize the spiritual, no wonder I, don't, I can't get by those issues in my life. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And then it skips down to verse 6 and, verse, and chapter 11 in Hebrews. And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So we're given the word that we will not see everything. If I could see everything, then faith would not be required of me. But yet I must have faith if I'm to please God. We must train ourselves to think in spiritual terms and yet live in the physical realm for the time being. God is a multitasker, and he created us in the same fashion. We are to live in this world, but keep our minds firmly centered on eternity. And as we do that, we can make good decisions that fulfill both the immediate and the eternal. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, Since, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your minds on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Clearly, the Word is telling us to get our minds off of the physical, get our minds off of the worldly, get our minds off of today, and get our minds set on, on eternal things where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And when I can't understand the significance of the spiritual world, I find myself consumed with the physical, and it's no wonder I spend all my time frustrated. I spend all my energy trying to gain all I can in this world and ignore the long-term aspects of spiritual life that is before us all. It's not to say that the things of this world are bad or sinful. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying what we have is bad. Just don't, don't misunderstand me. But when, it becomes, when, when that becomes my focus, when I'm chasing after the things of this world, then I'm becoming very dangerous because now I may be putting them before God. And when I do that, I have a problem. Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 through 6 says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for their sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. What are these gods that the speaker is writing of? What are these gods? See, in Old Testament days, they would make idols. They would make golden calves, and they would make idols. They would worship them. Now, I don't think anybody here has a golden calf in your house. Did anybody bow down to a calf this morning? 
Did anybody bow down to an idol before you came in this morning? I don't think so. So what is this? How does this apply to our life today? Is there anything else you've placed before God, possibly? What about your bank account? What about your car? What about your home? What about your job? What about your family? See, even good things can be placed in front of God. And when we place things like that in front of God, what do they become? Idols. And when we do that, are we pleasing to God? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. In fact, if we look at, if we go back and look and see what happens in the same, it says, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of the fa- of the, for the sin of the fathers to the fir- third and fourth generation. Dads, listen to me. What you do is very important. Mothers, listen to me. What you do in your homes are, is very important. The gods you place in your home over and above, you, you will pay the consequence. But not only you, but the generations to come. See, God doesn't say things and then not fulfill them. God would not say this if he didn't mean it. If God didn't mean that the generations to come would pay for the sins of the fathers, then why would he say that? At the same time, he gives us a promise. He says, but, but those that show love, those that keep a righteous life, they will have generations of blessings upon them for years and years and years to come. So blessings and curses, it's all biblical as we learn to live Christian and godly lives in our life, as we make the right decisions. So how do we do all this? How do we do this? We do this, the Bible says, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. We can do this, by the way. I'm, I'm not painting a bleak picture that we can't win. Hear me out. I'm not painting a bleak picture. I'm just telling the truth. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. So understand, we are in a battle, right? We've been talking about that in Wednesday nights, a spiritual battle. But when we live by the Spirit... We will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Or we will not recognize the physical nature being more powerful than the spiritual nature when we do that. What does it really mean to live by the Spirit? I know those are words that maybe are foreign to some of us. What does it mean when we say live by the Spirit? Well, most of the time it's living with our priorities. When I place ungodly things in front of godly things, I'm not living by the Spirit. But when I place godly things in a proper perspective and a proper priority and I keep God in my first priority that we're going to talk about a little bit later, we will see that that is the first step in living by the Spirit. And then secondly, let's talk about our short-term versus long-term thinking. We've spoken about this in the past, but I think it's worth revisiting this morning and that we must have a long-term perspective if we are going to live a fulfilled Christian life. And I'm not saying that thinking about today is not important. I'm not suggesting that, that we are to ignore our lives and, and, and our businesses. That would be ludicrous and that would be silly. And uh, so I'm not suggesting that at all. But I am suggesting and I am saying that we must understand that the things around us, even though they seem so permanent and unchanging, are but a fleeting wind. 
they will come and they will go. And we all know how fast time flies. We all know that it won't be long and fall is here and the summer's gone. And then winter's here and the fall's gone. How quickly the seasons change. So what I think is so solid today, what I think is so secure today, if it's of the physical world, it won't last. We must think long-term if we are going to live a fulfilled short-term life at the same time. We must understand that everything I do today is a passing action. Every feeling, every action, every possession I own, one day will be taken away from me. I will not be able to hold on to, to one of these things that I think are so important to me when mortality comes to my life. When, that, when, when death comes to my door, everything I've worked so hard for in this physical life will be gone. Therefore, I must see the spiritual world. Understand the spiritual world is, is more real than the physical world today. I know I say that and it doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Because I'm, you're sitting in a chair and I'm standing behind this wooden podium and I see it, I touch it, I feel it. But I'm telling you, the spiritual world is more real than the physical world. It was here before the physical world was ever created. God is spirit and he is truth. And he was here before he spoke this world into, into being. And he will be here when this world as we know it today is destroyed. So the spiritual world is more real, it's more, fit, more lasting, it's more real than the world that I see around me today. Even though that I'm limited by my, my, my three-dimensional eyesight, I'm limited by what I can see, what I can feel, what I can smell and touch and taste, but understand the significance of the spiritual world. And how important it is that we never let that, get, uh, we never lose that. Or, or maybe we've never gained it. Maybe we've never grasped it before. But that allows me then to think in a long-term perspective. When I can understand how real the spiritual world is, then it allows me to think long-term. It allows me then not to get caught up in the selfishness of this world. It allows me then to not to get caught up in, in I want it all here. Because even if you gain it all here, it's not going to last. It's not going to last. It's going to evaporate and it's going to go away and then we're going to be left with empty hands. So therefore, we must be thinking, um, thinking long-term. If we're only thinking about the physical world and the issues and goals that we have, that is short-term perspective and that is short-term understanding. If we don't move past that, we will have eternal regrets. Eternal regrets. We talked about regrets a couple weeks ago, about how we do not want to live a life of regrets. So if that's the case, why then do I spend the time and effort to gain all the physical things that we know will not last? Why do I chase after it? Well, it's because we don't see it. In all reality, out of sight, out of mind. So we need to ask God then to open our spiritual eyes so we can see the impact that all, is all around us. I have a couple examples that proves to you if you believe the Bible, if you're a Bible-believing church, then I have a couple of examples that will prove to you that the spiritual world is here. If you turn, or if you want to look at Numbers chapter 22, it talked about Balaam, his experience with the spirit world. Now there's a long story here, and I'm not going to get into this, but I just wanted to read this so you understand the example of what Balaam saw, or what his donkey saw that Balaam didn't see, because Balaam did not see it. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went, all, went with the princes of Moab. 
But God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, she turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat her to get her back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the two vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat her again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the left or to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam, and he was angry and beat her with his staff. And then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth. Okay, do you believe that? The Lord opened the donkey's mouth. And she said to Balaam, What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey. <laughs> okay. You have made a fool of me. If I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in a habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in a road with a sword drawn, so he bowed low and fell face down. I believe the Bible. And I believe this happened, just as it said. There is no question to me, even though it sounds stupid, that the donkey talked to Balaam. I believe that. In fact, there's a, I'm gonna, there's a whole sermon in this right here that we're not going to get into today, but maybe we will down the road, about why the donkey how the donkey saved Balaam's life, quite honestly, because the donkey saw what Balaam couldn't, the spirit world. I have one more example, Second Kings chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. Elisha and his servant. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. This, now understand, this was a real army. This, these were real people that the servants saw. This was not in the spirit world. This was in the physical world. But Elisha said, Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed to the Lord, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. These were angels. Okay? So, yes, there was a real battle here, physical battle. But what the servant couldn't see was the spirit world around them that was encamping them and protecting them, and they won the battle. If you go on and read that, it will show you how they won the battle. The spirit world wins. The spirit world wins today. If we know this, then why are we so dull so that we don't understand and we want to put more emphasis on the physical more than on the spiritual? Well, let me tell you a couple of reasons I believe. I believe the enemy dulls the senses of a Christian so that we never have the opportunity to live a first-rate Christian life. We live second-rate Christianity because we don't believe really in the spirit world. We, we just say the words... We, we say, yes, Jesus is real. We say that, but we really don't believe it because the enemy does a really good job dulling it to us. We talked a couple of weeks ago about the devil and about his lack of care. 
for us. He really doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about your family. He doesn't care about your job. He doesn't care about your spouse. He doesn't care about your happiness. There's one thing the devil cares about, and that is your future. All he cares about is the destruction of your future. If you're happy in this life and bound for hell, the devil's happy. If you're struggling in this life and bound for hell, the devil's happy. He doesn't care about how you feel. He doesn't care. So he, he, won't, mess up with, he won't mess with you if you're bound for hell, if you're not living a Christian, a vibrant Christian life, and if you are successful and happy, and if you've got all the things in the world, the devil will let you go on living that way forever. He doesn't care. He, he doesn't care how miserable, you are, how miserable you are or how happy you are while you're walking this earth. All he cares about is what happens the day you die. And then he will destroy you. Then he will take you. He sucks you in, like Chris talked about in that, in that, in that uh, morning glory weed that gets into the garden and it slowly winds its way up on the vines of your other real uh, your plants that you're trying to protect and it chokes them. And it's a weed. And that's how the enemy gets in. He will dull it. In fact, he really doesn't even want you to think he exists. He doesn't care if you are afraid of him. He doesn't care what you think about him. He doesn't even want you to think that he's alive. He just wants you to go on your merry way, ignoring him and ignoring God, and he will win. So he doesn't care. He doesn't need to come up and be mean. He doesn't come up and mean to come up and be scary to you. He can be very subtle. In fact, that's what he likes to do. He likes to stay in the background. He doesn't want to make a big deal about who he is because when, we, when he does that, then we fight. But as long as he can subtly keep us in his grip subtly keep us enjoying the pleasures of this life, subtly keep us focused on the physical, then he wins and we lose. And then what he does do then is he'll take a person like me that's saying this right now or any other Bible-believing preacher or person, you too, and get into the world and talk to people in the world and he will make you look stupid. He will make this sound stupid to them. Because he doesn't, if, if, if he, does, he does not want to be exposed to his game. His game is subtlety and quietly coming in and choking a life out of you. And as soon as someone comes to you and, and, and brings him up, he says, that guy over there, he's a fear monger. He's, he's got phobias against homosexuality. He's overly strict. He's a legalist. He doesn't, he, he doesn't want anybody to drink or, or, or have premarital sex because he doesn't want you to have fun. He wants to, he wants to make Bible-believing Christians to be, to be ignorant and arrogant at the same time. What is more arrogant than a man saying that he can figure God out? See, we will. I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures here a little bit that I've given them to you, handed out. I can't claim credit for one of those scriptures. I didn't write one of them down, but I will tell you they are the truth. There's nothing false about any one of those scriptures that's on that paper. And I didn't write one of them. So how can I be arrogant if I believe they're true? Arrogance comes when I say I have a better way. 
Arrogance comes when I say, you know what, I don't believe that stuff. I'm going to go figure it out my own way. I'm going to live my own life. That's arrogance. But yet people that are living that way will claim Bible-believing people as arrogant because we say we know the truth. And we know the truth only because the Bible tells us the truth. I'm not the one making it up. I'm not the one writing it. They're the ones that are making up their version of it, and then they're calling me arrogant. I don't understand that. Does that, make, does that not make sense? You see, the, world, the, the, the Bible says that in the end, that right will become wrong and wrong will become right. And that's exactly what's happening all around us. That, that people in the world are calling us fear mongers and, and we have all these, these, these racial phobias and these sexual orientation phobias and we're afraid of everything. No, we're not afraid of anything. We're just saying the truth. And the truth is it's wrong. The truth is it's, you can't live that life, lifestyle and still be a, a heaven person. You can't be a first-rate Christian and still live in the world and, and play with worldly things. That's settling for second-rate Christianity. And the danger here is this. The biggest risk that I see that anyone can settle for second-rate Christianity is what happens if it's not good enough. What happens if your version of Christianity isn't good enough come Judgment Day? What happens to you? Who loses the battle? Who loses in that situation? Does the preacher who said that I tried to encourage you to, to move on to living a full life, does he lose? Does your mom or dad lose? No. The person that loses is the person that played the game. <laughs> I'm telling you people, we, do not, we cannot afford to play the game with God. He's going to win. <laughs> He's going to win. I know that I know that this may seem somewhat confusing. Boy, I tell you what. I feel such a, 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 a sense of foreboding right now in my spirit. Those that can pray, would you pray? The devil does not want me to say these things. I'm telling you right now, he is battling me like you can't believe. He does not want me to say these things. I tell you, salvation, even though it's free, it's free because Jesus died on the cross. All I have to do is accept his blood offering for my, the sacrifice of my sins. But I still have to live a life without compromise. I cannot accept it and then go out in the world and live the way I want to live. That doesn't work. That's worldly and it's, it's second-rate Christianity and it's not, even, it's not even Christianity, actually. It's a lie. It's deception. We are to work out our salvation. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 16, it says, Therefore, my dear, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. This is Paul speaking to the Philippians. He says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without a fault, without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like the stars of the universe. Amen. That you, as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I, didn't, that I did not run or labor for nothing. See, it's not me, it's not you, it's the salvation that comes through Christ, but yet I have a responsibility because I have to work out my salvation and I have to continue to do that and that is proof then of my salvation. In other words, the things I do prove that I have God in my heart. Can I lose my salvation? Yes, I can lose my salvation. What I get this morning, I can walk out tomorrow and lose it if I don't choose to live in it. I have to live in the truth. And that's why if we go to that page that I gave you, I want to give you some assignment this week. I want to give you something to hold you accountable this week. And I want to ask you, as you take this page, these are some scriptures that kind of define the first-rate Christian living and again these are something that we did not make up in this church nothing to do with a denomination nothing to do with a person this is the inspired word of God that we are to submit ourselves to God we are to love God with everything that we have everything Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, everything. We are to put God first in our life, in our choices. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added. But we must seek him first. We must love God over money or worldly possessions. We must study God's word. We must be committed to corporate Bible study and prayer times. We must live in an attitude of prayer and thanksgiving. We must make good long-term choices. We must be selective in who we hang out with. We must choose heavenly wisdom and always increasing in the knowledge of God. We must love people around us and so that we're concerned about them more than we're concerned about ourselves. We're to be generous in our giving. Even if this list seems a little bit daunting for a Sunday morning service, it's only the scratching the surface of God's Word that details how we should live our life. So it's not me trying to convince you of my first-rate Christianity versus your second-rate your second Christianity. It's not me trying to make up the rules. I'm simply trying to give the rules out what the Word says. You then have to apply them in your life. You then have to take them and apply them. If you don't, it's your consequence. It's your life to deal with after the fact. See, all I can do here this morning is to encourage you to do everything in your power and ability to live for Jesus. I can't force you to do anything. I can't... At the same time, I can't take any responsibility away from you either. All I can do is call you to do whatever the best you can do. Jackie, would you come, please, when you get your headset figured out?
Well, where are you this morning in your Christian walk? Where are you? See, I, I, I started the sermon off this morning by saying that we don't recognize our delusional state. And sometimes I don't think we do. Sometimes we need somebody to come alongside of us and correct us. But when that happens, so often we become offended by that person. So I, ask, I encourage you this morning to ask yourselves the questions. Are you giving God the best of your life or are you giving him the leftovers? We talked a little bit earlier that God is a jealous God. And he's jealous in a good sense of the word, not in a bad sense of the word. He's jealous over things that are rightfully his. We sang this morning that he deserves the glory. He deserves the honor. He deserves it. Yes, he does. And he's jealous that we give him that. Are you giving him the proper praise? Are you giving him the proper worship? Are you giving him the proper place, the proper priority in your life? Or are you thinking that I'm going to give him enough to get by, but don't challenge me with any more? I would, I, would, I would challenge you to go to the Word. Find one scripture in the Word that could back up that line of thinking. Go find one place in the Bible that could say, that's right. You will never find that place. God does not want your second best. When we go back and look at scriptures, He says, give me the first. Bring the first of your tithe. Give the first of your time. Give the first of your offerings. God wants the first of you because He knows in your mind that's the best. He doesn't want second best. If you're only giving Him second best, you're not a Christian person. I'm telling you the truth. I'm sorry. If you, I'm sorry if that it makes you feel bad. But I'm not here to make you feel good. I'm here to challenge you with the truth. I'm here to challenge you with what God is saying. He says, I want your best. Mike, he wants my best. He wants your best. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but not kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body and hell. Hell is real. Hell is, is powerful. Hell is bad. <laughs> Hell is hot. <laughs> Hell is eternal separation from God. Hell is, you know what hell really is? Hell is eternal regret. Hell is knowing I didn't have to be here. But I'm here because I chose to be here. A loving God, people say, oh, a loving God will never send me to hell. You're, chose, you're choosing to go to hell. I'm sorry, you're choosing it. If you're not choosing God, then you're choosing to go to hell. And that is living then with eternal regret. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, I know that we are all trying, doing, well, let me just start over. I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> I know what I'm doing, but I don't know what we're doing. So I'm just going to say, Lord, uh, help us. Help us, Father, to see us. 
Help me to see me. Examine my heart, O Lord. See if there be a wicked way within me. And Lord, I pray that everyone in this room would be praying that same prayer. Lord, help us to understand the the significance of living second-rate or first-rate Christianity. Help us to understand how important it is. How vitally important it is. That we don't waste or squander this opportunity that we have this morning to make sure that I have first-rate Christianity going in my life. As Rod said, I'm not a perfect person. It can't make, I'm not perfect, but Lord, my heart is trying my best, and I'm giving my all, and I'm doing what I need to do. I am reading the Word. I am praying. I am putting it a priority of my life. I am putting other people in front of, of me. I'm, putting, I'm loving you. I'm doing everything that I can in my power. And imperfect as it is, I'm giving you my best. That should be our prayer this morning. And if it's not our prayer this morning, Lord, I pray that we can make it our prayer this morning. As you're sitting in your seat this morning, if, if, if you feel the, the stirring within you that says, I want to make it my best, whether you're a Christian this morning or not, whether you've ever received Jesus in your life or not, if you feel the stirring in your life that you want to make this your prayer, then with me, raise your hand and prove to God and show God that this is what you want. If you can't raise your hand this morning, don't do it if you don't feel it. But if you really want that to be your prayer this morning, that I don't want to settle for second rate. This is important that you understand the significance of this. Because if you can't raise your hand now, how will you ever stand before a God come judgment day and say, God, I gave you my all. I gave you my all. I left it all on the field of earth. And I gave you my best if you're struggling with that this morning, as we end the service, as we dismiss people, I, I'm going to stay up here and pray. If you want to come and pray with me, I'm here. I'd be happy to pray with anybody. I'd be happy to, to, to spend some time and just pray with you and invite Jesus in your life and encourage you to accept him fully this morning. Jackie, if we, if we could sing this song that you're playing. And... Uh, if you'd stand with me, let's just sing the song. Jackie's praying. And, and, and during the song, if you feel, if you, want to be, if you want to pray, come on up here and let's pray. There'll be others that will come around you as well. This is the time of, of letting the pride down, right, Rod? This is the time where we do not let our pride step in the way. If we let our pride step in the way now, it's not a good thing to do. Let's sing, Jackie, if you would, please. I'm giving you my heart And all it is within I lay it all down For the sake of you, my King I'm giving you my dreams I'm laying down my rights I'm giving up my pride for the promise of new life and I surrender all to you all 